This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. From the ArmeniaProud.com studios. Genazit Hayed. This is a Toast to Armenia with Jono Kabinjian. A comprehensive look at the Armenian culture, only on lineupmedia.fm. Genazit, genazit, parluisin spesek. Hey, folks, uh, we got a great show for you. Brian, welcome aboard, man. I can't yeah. do the show without you. I'm here. And uh, we've got a full show. So let's get to our let's get to our people here. Let's get I, to I, it. Yeah, let's jump right in there. And I tell you what, Brian, uh, our first guest, our first guest is making some uh, head waves in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, he was actually introduced to me by Adrine Mirzayan, who is also a friend of the show, and she was also on the show, mm-hmm. if you remember her. Yeah. And uh, Adrine sh- said to me, "Hey, John, you gotta listen to this guy." Uh, He's a friend of mine, and uh, he's been doing some great stuff in the L.A. area. And I said, let let let's let let me hear it. I, I talked to the guy, uh, Saro Ivazian, and I tell you what, man, uh, this this guy's doing a lot of great stuff for the youth in uh, L.A. and around that area, Glendale area. Saro, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me, Jono. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for being on the show, my friend. Uh, Man, I, I tell you, I talked to you for about uh, five minutes beforehand, and I said, this is the type of people that we need. This is the type of Armenians out there that I love uh, interviewing and, and because I feel like I'm, I'm one of you guys. I, I feel like whatever you guys are doing out there, and uh, Sara, you're, you're doing a lot here. Tell us a little bit about this whole youth program and all that that you got going right now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Armenian General Benevolent Union, um, you know, has been around for over 100 years at this point. Um, About 20 years ago, uh, one of its auxiliary groups, the Young Professionals, decided that, you know what, we need to do something, uh, something more for our youth uh, in the Los Angeles area. So uh, they put their heads together and, uh, you know, started brainstorming. And by 1998, they had a, uh, you know, they had a full-fledged mentoring program for at-risk Armenian youth in the Los Angeles area. And, um, you know, they had their first group of mentors and mentees. Uh, The program is very similar to Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America um, and and other mentoring, you know, youth mentoring programs. Like Saro, can I jump and, uh, in? Can I jump in real quick? How do you make it at yeah, risk? Yeah. How, how do you make it? Uh, how do you, how do you guys come up with uh, that? Those two words right there, at risk. Sure, sure. So you know, at, at risk is, is is one of those words, uh, or at risk youth is one of those things that gets thrown around, um, and people really don't understand what what that means. Let me make it one hundred percent clear. Every youth that I've come across in my in my work here uh, has been at risk. Every youth is at risk for something. Um, now, uh, w- with, with today's day and age, with the technology and with, you know, with, with social media, everyone is at risk for something. Um, but to, to, to get to the heart of your question, um, for us, for AGBU, for this program, um, what at risk means is um, working with youth who with uh, 
some guidance and support from an adult volunteer mentor, a case manager, and other you know, resources in the community can really, really make a big change in their lives. Hmm. Um, we're talking about uh, transforming uh, young people, uh, not, not teaching them something new, but sure, they, I mean, they learn something along the way, right? Uh, or else we're not doing our work. But uh, it's really what we're doing is, is we're uncovering those hidden talents and gifts that they already have, that they have some way, somehow, uh, by their doing or most of the time by the doing of others and um, specifically adults uh, has been uh, sort of covered up or has been, you know, those talents and gifts have been, uh, or, or uh, how do I describe this, have layers of grime and dirt and dust and, and you know, uh, uh, over them. So our goal is to help them uncover those, those amazing talents and gifts that they were born with, A, or B, developed over time. But somehow uh, we've stopped honoring our kids. We've stopped honoring our youth. We don't see the talents. We don't see the gifts um, in, in, in what they do. And so what happens is, uh, you know, uh, youth grow up without this same type of support that we benefited from, our generation, Donna, what we benefited from. Um, that's slowly and, I mean, it's gradually moving. We're moving away from that community, that one village type of, um, you know, setting. And so these youth are going out doing things that they shouldn't be doing, both parents are working, so they're out, you know, at the parks. They're 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 doing, you know, you know, drugs is a big deal. It's a big uh, issue. You know, they're staying out, promiscuity, you know, uh, all right, that kind of stuff. Right. Is, is all well, those things that you thought, you know, that people thought uh, don't exist in the Armenian community. All those taboo subjects. Every single one of those things exists. Exists. And that's, it's happening. That's a shame. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. shame. Uh, Sarah. Uh, now, when you said uh, you try to uncover what they love to do, what the, their desire is, that uh, that hidden talent, you might say, okay, let's say a kid likes to uh, paint. He's a uh, he, he, that's what he says. To you, hey, sorry, you know, I I love to always uh, do something on canvas. Now, do you try to hook him or her up with uh, someone that's into that area, someone that's into that field? How do you do this? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we really are as, as you know, staff that works here and and case uh, and sorry and the volunteer mentors, what we really are is a support system and a resource broker. So when I say resource broker, that's it's exactly what you described. When you discover that a, someone is interested in painting or or martial arts or is interested in something, um, you know, computer science, you know, programming and things like that, that's where we jump in. That's when we say, okay, so. I can hook you up with this person or that person. I can take you to these events. Um, you know, we, we just had Glendale Tech Week a couple of, uh, you know, weeks ago. And we took uh, some of our kids who were interested in that field down there, and they got to meet a bunch of people, um, and they got to see what a vibrant, you know, community uh, there is in, in, in the field of technology. So that's exactly right. That's, that's what we do. Our goal is to share those resources with them that they would not otherwise take advantage of or even know, uh, that they existed. So you actually, sorry, you, you, what you do, you're not actually just involved in that perspective of taking care of this uh, a kid going from uh, point A to point B, but you have to go to point A and get these businesses, get these uh, e educational type of places on board to all this as well. 
That's right. Um, and what, what you know, we're very, very fortunate. AGVU is, is very, very, uh, a very important part of the community here. Uh, and so we are really involved with a lot of these nonprofits and a lot of these businesses in different ways. So, uh, you know, AGVU has made my life easier as, as someone who works with youth. Uh, you know, I, I'm able to walk in and say, hey, you know, like this is this is who I am. This is what I represent. And, you know, uh, chances are that they know about Generation Next, which is our uh, uh, you know, mentorship program. Uh, and so it's really, it, 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 it can be challenging at times, but most of the time, you know, uh, this community is wonderful. They, they, they want to step up uh, and they want to support our youth in any way that they can. So from the city to the library to, you know, from the social services aspect, it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful here. How many members do you have right now? Uh, your, your kids, your youth. So, um, as far as, uh, so we have two different programs right now. Uh, so the mentoring program, the one-to-one mentoring right now, we have 30 mentees. So we have 30 kids and we have uh, almost the same amount of mentors, um, in our program. Ranging in what age, ranging in what age? So they're 11 to 14 when they start, uh, but they can stay with us until they're 19. So a year after high school, our goal is to not only get them graduated successfully from high school, but we want to be with them during that transitionary period uh, between high school and the first year of college, where we end up losing a lot of young people, by the way. Mm. So, so we stay with them until they're 19. Most of our kids right now are juniors and seniors in high school, so they're going to be graduating this year and next year. And uh, so we'll be looking to bring on another group of youth. Uh, but and you know uh, what? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Sarah. So, besides the mentoring program, we've launched uh, because the mentoring program, our, our common denominator is, you know, how many mentors do you have? If you have a hundred mentors, you can match up a hundred kids with them. Um, of course, you need case management support, and we need, you know, people to come in and, and support us that way. Uh, but in addition to that, we now have an after-school program. Um, it's called Gen Next After School Program, and, and so we are at the parks. We are at our new community center, uh, and, and so we work with youth who walk off, uh, walk you know, off the street, as it were, or youth that I meet at these uh, attendance uh, uh, at these uh, school district meetings when they come in to sit down and work with these youth. Um, these are kids who are not in our program. So now, because of this after school program, I'm able to work with more youth. So um, we've just launched it, and we have, like, um, over the summer, we had uh, about 25 kids who kept coming in uh, consistently uh, at Maple Park where we were stationed. Um, but now, like I said, that we have this wonderful community center that the YWCA in Glendale has, um, has given to us, essentially, um, we're going to be able to take in, a, you know, 20, 30 kids a day. Man, so I, these are kids who are able to, I, to I come seen, in. And, yeah, I seen that place that you're working on too. So that's a lot of hard work yeah. that you guys are putting together. Yeah, yeah, I'm very fortunate. We have a lot of great mentors and mentees who uh, who've stepped up to help us. So these kids are recognized the value in this space, and we're all very grateful uh, to the YWCA uh, for making this happen for us. So I guess I guess the long the big picture of this the long run of this is uh, what you're doing is like you're in the future looking at 
future sorrows that come up that have went through your program, and now it's a domino effect to where they can start doing this too. They can start uh, mentoring. They can. Uh, I mean, I guess you're the you're the pioneer stages right now. But when these kids start becoming 19 and moving on and uh, uh, hopefully getting their college degree and having jobs or or whatever they're doing successfully, that they can start helping out uh, your community as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, we've been around for uh, for almost two decades now, and we're starting to see that, Jono. Uh, people are coming back. Our mentees are coming back with their degrees in hand, and they want to volunteer, and they want to support us. And uh, that, that's happening. That's how you know that a program is, you know, successful, that the, the kids who were once involved are coming back to, to now take on that role of mentor or case manager or youth worker. So, um it's it's working out uh really really well we're very um happy about that yeah well i tell you what sir i went to your facebook here and it says that you're married now is your wife part of this too or just take a lot of time and uh you know i know i couldn't pull something like this uh, knowing that uh my wife's gonna (laughs) be like hey you gotta be home you gotta be doing this so there's gotta be a lot of sacrifice and commitment on uh, her side as well yeah, my wife is, is, is something else, man. I mean, she's been with me ever since I started here at Gen Next. And, yeah, she is a mentor now, um, and, and that helps because, you know, and we have kids too, so uh, some of these activities will bring our kids, and she'll bring her mentee as well. Uh, but she's she's absolutely, you know, she understands that. See, here's the thing, Jono. She gets that not only do we do I love what I do and not only is it important in the community to, to do what we do, but she recognizes how valuable this is to me personally. What I mean by that, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, I'm not trying to use like some sort of cliche or euphemism or, or something like that. I mean that genuinely. When I say that mentoring saves lives, uh, I mean that. One of my, one of our, you know, one of my mentors and one of the, uh, the, the pioneers of this field here in LA, uh, uh, Tony Larray uh, says, mentoring saves two lives. Become a mentor and save two lives. And uh, what that means is, is basically when you take on this role of mentor, um, you're, if you're doing it honestly, man, if you're, if you're authentic about it, if you're fully present with that kid, if you're there and you see what this, the gifts and the, you know, the, the talents that this kid brings to that table, I promise you that not only will this, Will you learn from those experiences? But this youth will challenge you in ways you in ways you didn't think could happen. So what that means is, when you're being challenged, so you're either going to um, rise up and and take on that challenge, or you're going to walk away from it because it's too much for you to handle. For those of us who stay around and take on the challenge and deal with the uh, you know discomfort, being in an uncomfortable place because we're adults, right? We're not, we don't like awkward silences. We don't like that kind of stuff. We don't like awkward moments. Uh, the kids live in those moments, by the way. They have no problem <laughs> being in those moments. But for those of us who, who stay in those moments and uh, try to figure this thing out, dude, we become better people. Right, I become a right. better parent. I become a better husband because of these kids. And there's no way that they will understand right now because they're kids themselves. But one day they will understand that, hmm. They have, when I say that they've saved my life, I mean that. I mean that 100%. Wow. 
Well, when you say that, what what was your background? Uh, did you go through this program, or uh, how did you get involved in this? Yeah, so I, I started out uh, uh, in uh, as a teacher, and um, I went to school. I studied history, Armenian history, and U.S. history, and um, I went to, you know, I became a teacher, and I realized that, and, and I was doing a lot of volunteer work. I volunteered a lot at the HBU and other places, and um, that's where I met uh, the, the man who would become my mentor, R.R. Zumanian, um, uh, the, the, the person who was running the program uh, back then. And, uh, you know, there was this opening, and I read the job description, and I fell in love with it, because what I was doing as a teacher at the time was exactly what my job description is now, man. I was, I was more focused in on how these kids learn. Uh, as a uh, as a teacher and how to get them to learn and how to inspire them then i was in the actual content you know the content was there but i was more interested in keeping them engaged and that's really what you do as a mentor and so when i read the job description you know and i spoke with ara um, i knew that this was my you know calling this is where i needed to be um, and so that was 2007 2008 i'd been volunteering with hbu for years before that but um, that's what started it off for me. Was there any particular kid that you uh, seen and you said, man, you know what, that, that kid, all he needs is a parent-like figure just to guide him or her. And I think that the kid's a smart kid, the kid's a bright kid. It, was it something like that that triggered it off? Um. No, uh, I wouldn't say that. I, I wouldn't say that it was uh, uh, the particular youth. Uh, there was, um, you know, a few uh, incidents at the school where I was teaching that that kind of uh, guided you I that guess, way. Uh, yeah, it, it solidified the fact. I mean, I had I had kids who who would challenge me in the classroom. I had kids who you know weren't interested in learning. And we're talking about by the, by the way, a private school. We're talking about a place where you know. Uh, these kids presumably come from wealthy backgrounds, right? And uh, and so uh, you know, drugs were an issue at the school, and uh, and, and a lot of other things. But um, I had a few young kids, uh, like seventh, eighth graders, challenge me, and uh, obviously, you know, and so I had to figure out how to connect with these kids. And it was those moments that really solidified it for me. Um, you know, I had a kid uh, who was so angry and so so just upset at life and at his in his family the guy chucked a pair of scissors at me wow. in the middle of the class because i asked him to be quiet so uh this was a kid who was at a at a boiling point and uh, uh and so that behavior was to me telling of a kid who was in crisis this child was in crisis and so i could take one of two approaches one i could do what every administrator does uh, suspend the kid, ex- get the kid expelled. I mean, he threw a pair of scissors at me, right? Right. Um, th- there was a lot of things I could have done for this uh, uh, to to have punished this youth. But behind that action, behind that behavior, there is something happening in this kid. There is a revolution of some kind. Of, things are boiling up for this point. There's a, there's a that was a tipping point for him. So I, of course, I separated him. I sent him outside. Um, and once I dismissed the class, I invited him in and we talked about it. Of course, I, you know, t- let the school know, I let the parents know, but I said, I need you to trust that I can handle this. And that school really did that. And 
by the end of, you know, so I was hanging out with this kid over time at lunch and snack and recess and all that stuff. And over time, man, we were hanging out uh, during his free time in the classroom, outside of the classroom, on the, you know, on the field. Uh, this kid became one of our, uh, you know, academically, like one of our or, or shining, you know, whatever you want to call it, star student, right. you know. Right. This is the kid that other uh, teachers had basically given up on. And all it took was for me to sit down and talk with the kid. I didn't do like I'm not a miracle worker. I just listen to the kid. Yeah, is it always a success story though? I mean, is there some of these kids that, I mean, throwing the scissors at you, you never know w- yeah. what the hell's going to happen next time or whatever. You're just going on uh, calming this kid down. And uh, ha- has this thing gone bad at all too with? Uh, sending them out there to uh, these mentors and uh, these mentors go, you know, I, I just can't work with him. I, he doesn't listen or she doesn't listen. That Does that happen as well? Um, most of the time what's happening is the mentor. Uh, so first of all, let me say that we're, we're not, a, uh, we're not an intervention based. We don't have a interventionist based model of mentoring. We have a prevention based model. So what that means is we are getting to the kids before they have reached these points right so we see the markers we see the we mm. see the signs and symptoms okay. of a youth who can and if not supported properly will reach those points drugs gangs alcohol all that kind of stuff are we 100 percent successful um i think that depends on what you mean by successful because there's a kid that if i could just pre- pre- you know keep him um focused on school and uh if i could just keep him in school and, and have him graduate, uh, even if he's got a 2.5 GPA, that was a success story because this kid otherwise would have dropped out of school, uh, would have joined a gang, and would have caused, uh, you know, wreaked uh, okay. havoc on our, our neighborhood. Okay. So, so you're getting that, these kids before they get in the deep water. Right. right. Okay. All right. And, that makes sense, too. Because I was thinking, Sorrow, how, how difficult is it trying to – convert these uh, kids that are like gang bangers and all that but you're saying that I'm getting them before they get into that so that that, that makes right. a lot more sense there because I said man that's got to be tough trying to get some of these kids out of that type of lifestyle but uh it's good that now when you said these mentors uh, look at these uh, uh is this a one-on-one basis or is this a can he have a, a group of kids at a meeting or anything like that or is it all based on one-on-one so uh it's one-to-one and so the mentor and mentee hang out two times a month and then uh on a monthly basis we have uh, group activities so every month we have a group activity where we take the kids uh to different universities colleges um we celebrate and Bartevar with the kids uh, we have a Christmas party that we do with them. Um, so we have, uh, on a monthly basis, ongoing group activities. This is where all the mentors and all the mentees get together. But uh, it's one-to-one mentoring plus a you know a monthly group activity for, for everyone. Right. And does this set up something in the future, too, when the kid's graduating high school? Now we've made connections and everything like that to where now maybe possibly scholarships from these local places and the colleges and everything looking at the kid. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're really big on helping the kids with their college applications. Um, most of them will end up going to a junior college um, and then transferring out uh, to like university of Boston, university of Hawaii. We've had 
uh, kids go to UCLA and, you know, USC and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we help them with financial aid applications, scholarship applications. Well, you do that too. Speak. Wow. That's great. That's yeah. great. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of parents, from what you're saying, they're working they're working some crazy hours trying to just uh, uh, yeah. keep a roof over their head. And you guys are taking that part of it too because those applications and everything aren't that easy for these Armenian people either. So God bless on that, man. You guys are doing a good job. Yeah. Uh, I guess what you're looking for is possibly mentors, more mentors uh, stepping up in your uh, community and possibly even funds uh for uh, for just having these ahums and uh, having these kids uh, uh, in one place, and you know, after the after the mentor gets uh, done with m- mentoring and all that, I mean, it's a great to have a a weekend type of base to where you guys can have a little dance or a get together with all the kids and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're always looking for uh, for money and mentors. That's the the, the two M's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, Quality mentors. You know, we get a lot of applications, and um, from those applications, most of the time, out of 10 applications, I will basically invite like maybe half in for an interview, and then less than that will go on to matriculate as mentors. Um, Right. Because we're looking, I mean, think about it this way we're we're giving someone's kid to this this adult, and this adult uh, better be someone that, like, my 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 you know we have our requirements and all that obviously uh but uh you know i, I look at it this way would i be inter- would i be okay with giving my child uh to this mentor do i feel like this mentor would do a good job with my uh with right. my child you know are yeah. they are they present a are they stable in their lives b um and you know what what are the what are the what are their interests right so it's easy to say I'm a mentor. The- You're right. You're right. I mean, you guys got to do a little background on on uh, these people yeah. as well. But you know what? I really think those are once you once this thing gets fully blown up. Now you're keeping everything in house too, because these mentors are now past. Uh, I mean, they they're they were once part of this group as well. They were the mentees, and now they're the mentors. And uh, this can really spread like wildfire once it takes off with these yeah. kids that are graduating and moving on and having uh, a professional life to where they're helping out, too. Yeah, so. absolutely. So far, Jonna, we've had about six uh, former mentees come through and become uh, mentors. And one of them actually started to work with me as as a youth worker, uh, Armand Gregorian. Uh, so... We're That's very great. fortunate. I That's think it's great. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, you think about it, Saro. That's something that you created. I mean, that's a four or five people that weren't in it, and now they're going to plant the seed as well. So it's it's moving in the right direction. I'm I'm really proud of what you guys are doing, and uh, you know, it's good to see Armenians uh, doing something like this. I mean, you always hear. Uh, the Jewish people sticking together, yeah, that's the that's the whole thing. Every uh, everyone sticks together, but Armenians, uh, I I really, folks, I don't care what political base you are, what this and what that. I mean, th- these are Armenian people trying to help Armenian kids 
And that's what we have to look at. That's what we have to look at. In, in our little realm as uh, Armenians, we seem to go off in all sorts of different directions, having a church here, that's one side, a church there. I mean, face it, uh, when, when the smoke clears, we're all Armenians and we're trying to get to that goal of preserving that Yerakuin, that, that, uh, that red, blue, and orange flag. If we don't do it and we split apart and uh, say, well, they're this and they're this and they're that, or I'm this and they're that, we're not going to make it. We're not going to, we don't have the numbers to do anything like that. Yeah. So anyway, my friend, thank you so much for being a part of the show. How do people get a hold of you? Jono, let me say this before answering that. I appreciate you. Thank you for for taking the time to interview me and thank you for for having such a wonderful show. I know you interview a lot of great people, uh, a lot of people who are doing wonderful things. So I want to thank you. Um, for, for giving me this opportunity to speak to your listeners. Um, and I also want to thank the AGBU for funding this program and for, for believing in this program and for, for believing in our youth. Oh, um, thank you so much on that. that. That means a lot because, you know what, uh, I just tried to do a podcast when this first thing, when this whole thing started out, we just tried to do s- some Armenian thing to show people out there, show Armenians out there that it's not just about talking about genocide and woe is me. There are right. so many good right. things happening. Right. So, Absolutely. So thank yeah. you so much, my man. Talk to me. How do, how do people get a hold of you? So uh, the easiest way for people to get a hold of me, the most effective way is, is to um, uh, reach out on Facebook. So they just have to go on and type in, go to facebook.com forward slash A-G-B-U. G-E-N-N-E-X-T, and they'll find me. So it's uh, facebook.com forward slash A-G-B-U Gen Next. Um, and then if you just send me a message, I can respond to you within minutes, um, and we can take it from there. Our website uh, is agbugennext.org, so G-E-N-N-E-X-T.org. Um, and those are the two best ways to get a hold of me. Perfect, perfect. Do you have any event coming up in the near future you'd like to tell us about? Yeah, so so uh, over the next uh, few weeks, we're renovating our new space at the YWCA uh, here in Glendale. And then uh, beginning, uh, we're hoping that beginning of December, we're, we're going to be able to have a huge community-wide event. Um, so I'm hoping that early December... Uh, if not early January, we'll be able to do that. And we'll invite the entire community uh, to come through and, and celebrate with us and, and partake in this, in the opening of our new center. And um, yes, Bart, so it, that's amazing thing. let me, let me know about that. And I'll, uh, I'll let our people out there know uh, that listen to the show that this is opening, it's grand opening and all that. So please uh, drop a note to me and uh, we'll get that out as well. I will brother. Thank you very much. John. Thank all you. right. All right, my friends. That That is Saro Ivazian. And, uh, Saro, thank you so much for being on the show, and thank you for all the work that you guys are doing. Uh, this, There's nothing negative about this, folks. This is about good people just trying to help our Armenian kids go in the right direction, and, and we need that. We really do need that because West Coast uh, – uh, L.A., that type of scene, they, they get influenced by so many different type of people, so many different uh, stuff are out there. I mean, I'm in the Midwest. Uh, we know how to 
tight knit and all that, but out there, man, you got so much going on and people like Saro are trying to keep the Armenian community together. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, General Jeff. Keep up keep up the good work too. Thank you, my friend. Well, that was a great interview. I feel better. I feel I really better as it. an Armenian out there that there's uh, people out there that are doing everything they can to make it right. And people who are doing some real good in the world. Right on. Right on. And that's what it's all about here, folks. If you see anything like this to where you want to get involved, uh, I mean, we could always use sorrows out there that are doing good for the community and for our Armenian kids. I, I mean, God bless. I mean, I got to... I got a wife, I got kids, and it's tough for me, but this is the way I think I help out. Mm -hmm. So this is what I do. Uh, I think it's time. I think it's time for a little wine segment here with Anush Garibian O'Connor, and I think she's got a book out here on Amazon. Is this on Amazon? Yes, it is. And we're going to get to that plug. How did I work that? Uh, But the name of this book that she's going to be interviewing uh, with this uh, by Dr. Matthew Corky. I don't know if that's the one, or I don't know if yeah. Shireen Tan. Is they, they are co-authors. They are the co-authors, yes. and she's interviewing these? Yeah, interviews folks. both of them. Oh, excellent, excellent. Uh, so this book is called Uncorking the Caucasus, and it's the wines from Turkey, Armenia, and Georgia. See how I did that? See how I did those <laughs> two other crap countries real fast there? I said Turkey. Armenia and Georgia. Uh, anyway, yeah, so she's uh, interviewing these folks, and uh, that's going to be our next segment here. By the way, if you're going to buy a book like this, Uncorking the Caucasus from Wines from Turkey, Armenia, and Georgia, it's on Amazon, and you can go through our site at armeniaproud.com, and on your right-hand side, there's Amazon. Click on Amazon first and buy this book or buy anything you guys want out there. Uh, holiday seasons are right around the corner. And it's good to shop away on Amazon. I know you guys already do. Why not go through our site first? It keeps the lights on. And it's a great Armenian podcast show that I know a lot of you folks out there enjoy. So without further ado, let's get to this interview. Hello there. Today my guests are Shireen and Matthew, co-authors of the book Uncorking the Caucasus, which was published last year. Am I correct? Yes, correct. correct. Hi there. How are you? Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Anoush. Very happy to be on the show with you. Thank you so much. I was really looking forward to um, our conversation. We spoke last April, and it was so great to... Uh, learn about your great project, uh, your book that you published called Uncorking Caucasus. Um, how, let me ask you, how did you get into wine? Well, I actually, it's so funny. I, my family does not drink wine at all. I do not come from a wine going region, wine drinking family. And when I first saw the film Sideways, I was a senior at Michigan State University and I thought, wow, I really want to know about wine. And at, at that point, I just started to try wines, try different things. But of course, as a student, a graduate student, you're not able to taste some of the some of what the best wine has to offer. So when I finally met Shireen, actually in Singapore, when I was working abroad, uh, that's when we started 
you know, tr- trying and exploring new wines, drinking new, drinking new stuff, drinking better stuff. Yeah, and then for me, I've always enjoyed wine, but more or less casually. And then just as everything, you know, when you found your partner in crime, when I met Matt, we started going for tasting probably once a week, wine tasting and wine pairing dinner. And so our interest became more of like an obsession. And then more and more, we became more familiar. We start specializing in certain wine regions. We read up and drink a lot from a specific region. Yeah. That's true. The more you drink wine, the more you start exploring and learning about it, the more interested you become and you want to explore. Which brings me to the next question. Um, So you just packed up and went to Armenia to explore the wines of Armenia and not only Armenia, but also Georgia and Turkey. Tell, Tell us more about how did this idea came about and why that region? So it goes back to when we first left Singapore in May 2015. It was meant to be a sabbatical, a long-term travel trip for us. Uh, And back then, we planned out a a seven-month itinerary, which includes initially Italy, um, Spain, Portugal, and Switzerland. But funny enough, we weren't really focusing on wine, but somehow, because of interest, we constantly end up in, in wine regions. So Turkey, Armenia, and Georgia were were also part of the plan because both of us were always curious about the Caucasus area as a whole because of the hiking, the history, the beauty. And we also know about the fact that wine could potentially, back then we we read that it could potentially be coming from or or that area was a crater of wine. Mm -hmm. So we went there without the idea of wanting to write a book as we explored through the countries, we realized there's so much charm and stories to it that we felt compelled to dig deeper. And ironically, it's not just talking to you. It's just not a coincidence. This is truth. When we were planning this part of the trip, uh, Shireen really, really wanted to go to Turkey, and I really wanted to go to Georgia. Mm-hmm. So we thought putting those two together. But I, but also, both of us wanted to go to Armenia equally. So Turkey was more Shireen. Georgia was more for me. But we both decided that we really wanted to explore Armenia. Yeah, and on top of that, it was in Armenia after we met a couple of people who who are in wine that we felt really moved and compelled to share all the knowledge and experiences that we had, you know, through a book and on our website. That is that is wonderful. I mean. I have to, um, of course, it's great to know about the uh, the other two regions and their wine and their history, but I guess I'm a little biased and it makes me happier to see that on your book, actually, there is the picture of um, Horvira. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. <laughs> that, was, that was Shireen's picture. That was Shireen's uh... That was Shireen's choice. Yeah, it's a great picture. Funny enough is that we actually have a photographer and he's from from Russia who took the picture. That's a beautiful picture. So tell us a little bit about the book. What was the, what is the um, main purpose of this book? Is it the only wine information? What is it? No, actually, you know, one book that really touched my life, it sounds, I'm going to be a little bit embarrassing. Yes. Because I'm a man, but one of the books that I really enjoyed when I when I've been traveling for my whole life is Eat, Pray, Love, mm-hmm. and also for wine book we really really like the Wine Bible by Karen McNeil. 
So we wanted to make a merging of that. So it's not as in-depth, obviously, as the wine double. It's not meant to bog people down, but it's meant to give some stories from our, our three or four months in the region and also some history behind the wines and then some recommended wines to try to get used to or to get familiar with the local grapes and the local wine culture. Yeah, exactly that. That so, uncorking the caucuses is stout like a, a narrative, a travel narrative with practical guides and wine recommendation. So for Matt, he has the inspiration of wine bible and eat pray love. Whereas for me, I used to read extensively on um, books about cooking. So I had in mind also a book called What Einstein Told His Cook, which is you know a lot of factual stuff put in front but also practical tips and recipes and recommendations in the bag so we had the idea of merging everything together to make a book that is practical but also very entertaining for people who know nothing or know little bit about Armenia uh, yeah in fact i was looking through the book and it's such an easy uh, reading book that sometimes when you go through the wine books um, it can be a little bit intimidating for the for the person who is not into it too much, with too much terminology, too much this and that, but your book is very easy to read. It's a nice guide. It's almost like a traveling guide and uh, get to know. And I, I really appreciate it. I'm sure uh, everyone really appreciates your hard work in uh, publishing that great book. Um, do, you, uh, do you have other books? Do you have other books coming up? So Uncorking the Caucasus is actually our first wine book, but our second travel book. The first book that we wrote was Travel London. And then thereafter, Uncorking the Caucasus, this year we also published an electronic guidebook to Santa Barbara in California. And our most recent book, and it was a really huge project, is about the wines of Croatia, which just came out two months, about yeah, two months ago. Yeah. It's called Cracking Croatian Wine, and it's similar but a little bit more technical meant to be useful for people to pick up and understand the wines of croatia and it's so funny we've had people like for both ways some people really like more of the information driven uh driven perspective from that book some people told us they really liked uncorking the caucuses with its narrative and a little bit more story yeah also the format really depends on how developed the wine industry is exactly. in this specific uh, country as well so hopefully in the near future we'll be able to go back to armenia and do a more extended yeah, version of the book more in depth, yeah. Yeah. It, um, I mean, yeah, the uh, I I can totally see uh, for the Croatian book how useful it will be for people um, who are actually studying for different certifications for different uh, um, uh, levels of uh, you, you know in in the wine industry. There is not enough in-depth sources to go and to uh, look through all that. So I'm sure that's going to be a very useful. Um, book for the um, those who, who are studying too. Yeah, you know what's really touching for us, Anush, was uh, there were two students. One is living in LA, I think the other lady, she's from New York. And both of them emailed us soon after Uncocking the Caucasus came out. So they are Armenians living overseas, and it was that after they bought our book, and then they decided to procure, get a couple of Armenian wines, and they did a class tasting for their classmates. So that was really touching to hear. Oh, that is great. That is that is the 
that that is like gotta be one of the main purposes <laughs> because yeah, to yeah. bring in the awareness and the spotlight onto that so what um going back to uh, armenia and armenian wines uh what was your favorite um varietal so to say i mean i don't know if it's easy to answer or or varietals I, 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 or no, I, I think i think it is you know for us really the, there were three that really stood out with a lot of potential was uh, was definitely areni areni from um from Bias de Zor. Mm-hmm. We were also very impressed with uh, Sereni or aka Hungdoni from uh, Nagorno-Karabakh. Mm-hmm. And also, when we went back, we went back to Armenia this, a year after the first time we went to taste the new vintages to see how the country progressed, which they progressed really fast. And Voskihar mm-hmm. really impressed me in time. The first time we went through, it was not that impressive. But when we went back the second time, there were some. There was a lot of winemakers doing impressive things with that grape. Yeah, especially just a couple of months ago this year. In fact, we bought a bottle of Areni wine from Zora, and we shared it uh, with our friend, who is a winemaker, a really famous winemaker from Fiori. He really enjoyed the wine and he was completely blown away by how unique it is. And, you know, often when we are so emotionally invested in it, because we, we wrote a book about the country or we spent so much time with the people, we often actually take a step back and self-check and ask ourselves, are we being biased? <laughs> you know, do we re- is the wine really good? So we do our best to also share what wines from these lesser known places with people and especially winemakers as well to ask for their feedback. And I think we're not biased at all. Everyone who's tried Arani wine has been very amazed. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really imp- because <clears throat> even some producers that maybe aren't as established or don't have the pedigree, the, the grape really shows really nicely. And then when we went back the second time, there were some some other producers making some really impressive Arani wines, like the Vosky, Vosky Vaz's Karasi series, mm-hmm. made, made in Karas, was phenomenal. Also, I know Paul Hobbs, famous, famous yeah. winemaker in California, actually is making one over there. We yes. did not get a chance to taste it because it was just about to be released to the market. So Yeah, it's in the it. market. How would you how would you describe Arani uh, varietal for someone who has never tried it? Like, what would be your... Uh, description like what you can compare I, I know it's hard to compare to an, uh, to another varietal but like maybe a couple of varietals or something in between I don't know you go oh, so first I was just give me a moment <laughs> so first I would say there is usually medium body and it expresses red fruit typically more more cherry like even though we've tasted certain certain areni with a little bit of raspberry but i will go with red cherry first and a lot of earthiness to it great acidity very lively acidity and if i could compare it to two grapes probably two grapes i would consider i think blanc frankish and i won't go for the typical pinot noir i would say it's more gany style for me it really reminds me of uh, norella muscalese from uh-huh. etna Without mm-hmm. maybe Norella Muscalese has a little more tannins, but the, I really like the acidity. The wines really have some zip, 
Mm-hmm. And we can tell you one thing, because we were there during harvest time, the grapes taste pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So every time when when a person, uh, a wine lover, says that, oh, you know, I don't like big fruit bomb, I like controlled, well-expressed, structured wine, I think about Arani immediately. Mm-hmm. I, I detect a lot of black peppery notes on the wine. Have you... Yes. It's And it's... Uh, um, to to me, it's I I mean I I don't know if it's it's like somewhere between a little bit of some Syrah when it can grow to in a certain um, mineraly soils plus Pinot Noir plus something in between a Spanish uh, varietals like Tempranillo. <laughs> to me, it like gives this whole. Uh, but do you have you have you tried the arani that's grown in Vyotsdor and versus the valley? Have you tried the um, the difference of those or? Yes, I think it's not fair to compare because the ones uh, the ones, for instance, that are a little bit, that are a little bit west of the Yadavan, the vines are a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. I know, like for instance, um, for instance, uh, sorry, just oh, so Van Arti. Van Arti. Sorry, I was. We're in different wine mode right now. Van Arty has some already. It's it's quite young. Yeah. It's a little bit more fruitier. I definitely can see one of the dirty one of the dirty secrets though that happens everywhere in the wine world. I think is a lot of people bring in grapes from Bayats de Zor mm-hmm. or to other parts of of Armenia. But I think your comparison to a Syrah Pinot Noir is pretty good because I can see where it has the earthy, peppery notes, but yeah. yes, it has the lightness, the fruitiness of Pinot Noir. Yeah, I thought of Syrah as well, but I said Blanc Frankish because Blanc Frankish is lighter but with pepper notes. Um, also, to add on to the differences in the two regions, right, I think it's also not quite fair to, to compare at this point because you got to think about perhaps there are different clones that haven't, you know, you, you haven't figured out which which clone to plant. You will never know. And also the different climate and all that as well. And like you said, the different in age. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of factors to it. And, yeah. and, the, and there's still, everybody's still learning how to use it. For instance, last time we were there, we tasted, we did a mini vertical at Zora. Uh-huh. And it was astounding to see the differences as he was, we're doing vintage to vintage, yeah. some with a little bit more extraction, with a little bit more body, some lighter. Yeah. It, it was very interesting. And I think everybody there in Armenia is still trying to figure out what they want to do with the grape. Even the vinification process can be very different as well. And, you know, often as wine people uh, um, talk about how great winemaking process and white winemaking process, but it's not just that. I mean, you don't make Pinot Noir the same way that you make Cabernet Sauvignon. So I'm sure even for Irene, people are doing different level of extraction and all that. But mm-hmm. I like that you mentioned you mentioned um, earlier about Spanish grape because I did think that Hin Irene, the last time when we tried the red, it did remind me kind of like Spanish, like early mm-hmm. and big. But there was yeah. a blend. Hinarani, it was a blend. Hinarani it was a blend a with Arani and other stuff, yeah. It is very exciting to see this the the, the wines, um, Armenian wines, you know, coming into the U.S. and um, becoming popular. Hopefully they'll become even more popular uh, seeing how the industry has grown. So you guys have been there a year ago. Or when was the first time? So what was the changes? How, how, like in the increments, how fast is the industry growing? And how exciting is it? I think it's so super exciting. It was, we were the first there in the fall of 2015. And then we were there actually exactly a year ago, uh, 2016. And the changes were pretty remarkable. I mean, there's already a couple, there's already foreign investment. There's a French guy over there, Coteau. 
Courtauld. He's making wines with Hinarani. And like I said, they were really stepping up their game with Vosky Hot. Everybody was making a very solid Vosky Hot. Yeah, but also on top of that, consumer point of view as well, there are more wine bars in Yerevan. Mm-hmm. I also see that more people are working closely together. You know, there are more festivals or, or small events coming up. We attended a wine tasting event in, in Yerevan when we were there as well. So it's always good that you, as a as an up-and-coming, Armenia is not an up-and-coming wine country, it's an old-world wine country, but you know, well, on an international yeah. level, it's still relatively unknown at this point. So as Armenia gets more known, it's so important for the wine countries and wine, wine makers and everyone in the trade to work together, which we are definitely seeing and see that it's improving across the past one year. One thing that we found fascinating is the amount of... Uh, Foreigners, foreign talent coming in in terms of winemaking, coming mm-hmm. in and being really interested in the Armenian land, the Armenian soil, the Armenian grapes, and because of because of the spirit of the people, we we truly think that in the next five ten years there will be a couple of yeah, a handful of really really world class wines coming out of Armenia. Yeah, that is that is very encouraging, very exciting to know, and we're hopeful that. Um, that that's that's what's going to happen because with all the interest, with all the new talent, like you said, with all the new um, everything going in there, there's got to be a great result. Um, I, I I can talk to you guys forever, <laughs> but I know you are getting ready. What is your next project? You have published this book the um, about Croatia. Do you have another project, or you are? Um, what are what what's your next uh, plan or we we actually we actually do have a couple on the back burner we actually have too many <laughs> <laughs> I'm because sure we we did some projects with uh, Cyprus and we're thinking about whether a book should be published the country is small enough that we can manage and then also Serbia which we are currently in Serbia right now we are thinking about putting together a book because we know so much about Serbian wines. In the meantime, we have a bunch of small projects, like a couple of days we're going to Sardinia, we're doing some videos in Hungary, we're going to Hungary next month, and mm-hmm. also... Slovakia. Slovakia, yeah. sorry, we're, do- we're doing a-, a conference in Slovakia about ferment, so we're trying to get all over the... Oh, and Uruguay, Uruguay is coming up too nice. <laughs> next year, so yeah. there's, a- there's a lot, <laughs> and it's just now, it's in terms of books, what we're going to put a focus on next. So where, where can the listeners find you? Um, website, Facebook page, uh, where can they purchase your books? Um, can you give me your uh, social medias? Sure. So our website is exoticwinetravel.com and we are very active on Facebook Instagram and Twitter as well. Just search for Exotic Wine Travel. We are on all of those. And we are also on Google Plus. Uh, we also update Dino on very on a daily basis. Yeah. So it's easy. If you just type for Exotic Wine Travel, everything our whole collection of books will be there. Website also Amazon.com Amazon. 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 has okay. everything as well. Exotic Wine Travel and uh, or to to the armenian listeners all the books are great but make sure to purchase the <laughs> uncorking caucasus it's a wonderful book it's um it's 
if if you read it and you if you haven't been to Armenia, you definitely want to pack up your stuff and get and go. <laughs> that was my feel. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I grew up there, but after I read the book, I was like, I want to go again. I'm going. Like, I'm ready. <laughs> it's so funny that you just said that because I, I, I said something to Shireen the other day. Shireen loves, loves Armenia, but the other day I even said, I said, I miss Yerevan a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> really, really enjoy being in Armenia and being around Armenian people because there's a certain like aspiration and drive in all the Armenians that I met that you know has a very deep impact on me oh that's I'm sure I'm sure they all whomever you met they love you uh, dearly and they really appreciate your hard work bringing the um, uh, their wines and wineries uh, publishing in and um, letting it known to people who have never even heard about Armenia. So I thank you very much for that. And I wish you good luck with all your new uh, projects and endeavors. And hopefully we can meet soon sometimes. Yes, thank you, Anush, for having us. We will hopefully can share a glass of Arani together in the very near future. Yeah, thank Sounds you, Anush. It's always great chatting with you. Thank you so much. Another great interview by Anush. I mean, she is our CNN or Fox or what MNBC type of reporter on the spot. Anush on assignment. With Armenia Proud. <laughs> she did a great job again. God bless her. And that was a nice interview. She's that was a, a nice real interview. go-getter. Yes, sir. Uh, say, folks, uh, keep listening to our show. Keep downloading. Give us messages. If you guys have anyone out there that's uh, worthwhile doing something, give, give me a message. Give me a shout on that on our uh, armeniaproud.com or our Facebook, A Toast to Armenia. We could sure use more likes on there, too. We got six. I think we got 6,200, something like that. 6,200, not 62. But there's 6,200 people on there with big likes. So I'd love to see that number go up as well. And, again, messages from you guys saying, what can uh, what can I do to get the show going to where uh, we got more guests coming in and all that. So it's beautiful. You guys are beautiful out there. Thank you so much. Genatsit Kishar Party. We'll see you next week. Tune in next week for another episode of A Toast to Armenia with Jano Kabinjian. Find the show online at armeniaproud.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash armeniaproud or Twitter at armeniaproud. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.